Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. do a series that I think you really care about, but I'm not sure how honest you're willing to be. I, I'm a fourth generation pastor in a row. I grew up in the church. It's all I've ever known, actually. I did have some moments that I'm not going to tell you about that I tried to run away from the church. And I would imagine that you, if you've ever explored God, ever thought about God, ever walked with God, ever devoted your life to God, if you're any kind of spiritually curious person, you probably have wondered and thought about, do miracles really happen? Maybe you've read stories in the Bible that you've heard about the incredible, the, the sun being stopped by God, waters being split, people going from actual death to life. I don't know what you think about miracles, but I would like to cordially invite you into some conversations about them. So if you have some uh, preconceived ideas, join the party. I imagine we all do. <laughs> In fact, I thought I would do a bit of an experiment. This means that you have to be involved. Don't worry. No names will be used. I just want you to be able to raise your hand or not. Okay, here's how we're going to do this. I'm just curious. By a raise of hands, have you ever in your life, even dating back to five years old, ever ask God to do a miracle? Has anyone ever? Just curious. All right. That's what I expected. Okay. Let's see how open you're going to be. Have you ever asked God to do a miracle and the miracle happened? Okay. I expected there to be fewer hands. Have you ever talked to God, asked for him to do a miracle and it didn't 
happen. So I thought. I would guess, and I don't know you all that well, I know some of you, that the topic of miracles has gone after what you actually believe about God. Perhaps some of us, how much you believe or trust about God is related directly to what he's done or hasn't done. So just so that we're all on the same page, okay, same page, I don't know what you were raised, being taught and all that, but based on my understanding of the Bible and what miracles are, here's a definition we will use for miracles. A miracle is when God intervenes. It's when the supernatural creator, all-powerful, when God, like, steps into our uh, natural, limited life, he intervenes into it. Now, this, this helps some of us, because some of you, since, since football started, you're like, you've already started praying. Especially if you're a Vikings fan, you're like, God, would you intervene, please? And he's like, no. Now watch them win the Super Bowl. <clears throat> no, never mind. That's not, that's. <laughs> Let me ask you a personal question. Again, I don't know where you're going to land on this. By a show of hands, do any of you have something personal in your life? Or maybe it's a person in your life that you wish God would intervene on that subject or that person or that moment. So I thought, no matter what you believe about God, most of us are desperate for God to intervene on something. And your something is probably very personal to you, very grand, very big. Most of us have gotten our prayers above God, would you do a miracle and get me an A on this test? Most of us have, have progressed, not all, most, and most of us have stopped praying for our teams. Most, most of us, when I ask you, when I just asked you about what you want God to intervene on, it went very personal very quickly. Some of you thought immediately about, uh, we, we want God to intervene. On, it's a health issue. It's a marriage issue. It's a financial issue. It's a bigger issue. Maybe it's just for the world. God, would you, would you just please please come back and, and take us. Most of us, when I ask, do you want God to intervene? You went specific, at least in your head. You're like, oh yeah, I got a list. See, the problem is, I think some of us have bought a misconception about miracles that we need to deal with very quickly. Because a lot of us don't think God loves us anymore. Can we be that open? That because God didn't heal, God didn't take care of, God didn't block this or that, it's caused some question, and we're like, wait a minute, I thought God loved me so that so he would do this miracle so that he would kind of, can we be honest and say, prove his love? Prove that he's legit? So I got to give you, because this is my job, but more, more importantly, because I love you, you need to know the main purpose of miracles. And they are to glorify God. They are not, and I know that this will disrupt some of us, the main purpose of miracles is not to make our life easier. 
That's not the main objective that God's like, I don't want you to have a difficult life, so I'm going to do a miracle in your life. He loves us, he cares about us, but the main purpose that God would ever intervene is to glorify himself. The reason that Jesus would even go about healing some people and doing miracles, I don't know if you ever paid attention that he didn't heal every single sick person on planet earth. That should mess with you a little bit. But he did miracles to prove that he was in fact God. After Jesus went to heaven, the disciples, the Christians actually began to, as the Bible tells us, perform, do miracles. If you're like, well, why were they doing was it? Was it to make everyone's life easier? Was it to grant wishes? No, it was, it was to prove that God is God. It was to glorify God every single time. To glorify God. And this will mess with some of us, at least it does with me, that I gotta, I'm going to fess up to you. There's times that I ask God to do a miracle so my life would just be easier. I've done it. I've got a list right now. God, would you do this? Would you show up here? But on the truthful side, the other side, I'm just saying, God, I need a break. Would you, would you do this for me? And I'm not saying that's bad, but if that gets caught in the net for you, and becomes your center target to where the reason that you love God, follow God, like God, think about God, is so that he would do a miracle so that you would still like him and love him and care about him. You need that's broken. That's so broken. Because then simply God becomes a genie or a vending machine to you. And there will be a time, if you've not encountered it, most of you raised your hand, where he does not spit out what you are asking for. And so this is why it's so important we talk about miracles. If you're wondering what we believe about miracles, I'll be very direct. God still does miracles. He did not do them just for a time frame so they would get written into a book. He still does miracles. If you do not believe it, let's go to coffee and talk about it. There are many, 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 many thousands, millions of people who believe and have seen miracles. God still does miracles. The reason, the reason a lot of us question whether or not God still does miracles is because we have isolated what we think a miracle is. And I thought this series might help us unpack what miracles really are. So theologians, much smarter than myself, much smarter than myself, have gone through the Bible and all of history and have studied the miracles that have been done and categorized them. For those of you who like categories, I'm about to help out. Here, here they are based on what we've all studied. If you had to, you could take all the miracles done by God, where the moments he's intervened, and if you had to categorize it, which I love, God is just going, let's go simple. Uh, here they are, miracle of deliverance, miracle of healing, miracle of protection, miracle of provision. I just want to point something out. Most of us default to a miracle being when we are physically healed. The problem with only isolating a miracle as a physical healing, it means we disqualify legit, real, powerful miracles. If you're feeling bad about yourself, don't. Oh, I've been there. (laughs) 
If you want to know part of the agenda behind this series, me, <laughs> because there was a while back, I'm like, God, I, I'm, I know I'm supposed to say out loud that you still do miracles, but I'm going to need some help with some uh, proof to that. And I began to study, and I would tell you, God's still doing miracles, but you and I cannot be so uh, taking God, putting him in such a corner. Like the only way for God to really be powerful and to do miracles is he has to heal this certain ailment. Because all miracles are temporary. Except one. And that's what we're going to talk about the first week. That one. The weird one. I like to go weird fast. So we're going to go awkward. Would you like? Yeah, it doesn't matter if you like to. We're going to. The miracle of deliverance. The creepy one. The dark one. The, the, and if you're like, is he talking? I mean, some of you are thinking about the movie Deliverance. And some of you are thinking about, like, are we, what are we? Yeah. The dark side of life. The creepy side. The, the, the parts that, that we're like, we don't go after that. We don't spend time there. And, and we, just, we just know that there's a, there's a bad something. And unfortunately, because we don't talk about it, we become unaware of it. And in fact, if you're not sure, maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, he's about to talk like, like there's, like there's evil and stuff. And if, if you don't believe that there is an evil one, there's a quote that I've been told. I couldn't find out who actually really said it. It's been put into movies. It's, put, it's all over. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. That's where some of us, if you don't know how we think, as a group, a big group, where we are in anyone and everyone church, there are some of us who are like, no, I'm not sure there's really like a devil and stuff like that. I think there's just people who make bad choices. And I do agree with this. I think one of the devil's tactics, and we'll talk about him here in a little bit, is just to really to get you to think or believe or just process in such a way that he's not really all that involved. Meanwhile... In regular real life, let me show you what the Bible teaches us about this. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. I know when you're screaming at your spouse or you're not talking to them at all for days, I'm just helping you out right now in your marriage. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Hmm. It, I don't know what you think again about this, but we learned that a truth about life is this, is that there is an unseen world. And it is far crazier than you and I would like to talk about because it's so intense. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. If you're not sure if I'm going to go directly there, I am going to go directly there. Who are these uh, authorities and evil? Who, who's stirring this up? Some of you are like, uh, you're thinking politicians? No. Um, 
Satan and his demons. And this is where I knew in the message, we're like, oh, some people are like, too creepy for me, too unrealistic for me. And some of you go on the other side, and you think you're picturing this red velvet kind of outfit and a pitchfork. And So I thought I would provide you, for those of you who are researchers, some of you are researchers, Isaiah 14, Revelation 12, great places to go study what I'm about to talk to you about very briefly, because frankly, I've already done a whole series on these things called Stranger Things. So fitting. Stranger Things. You need to go watch it if you haven't. But we talked about the reality that there is Satan and he has demons. The way this originally played out, there was a guy named Lucifer was his original name. He was in heaven. And what we understand according to the Bible, he was basically like the prime worship leader in heaven. He rebels against God, gets kicked out, obviously, but he takes a third of the angels with him. Those one-third angels and Lucifer are what we now in terminology call Satan and demons. Some of us will watch a movie or two or, or we'll think, well, my opinion kind of makes me feel this way. And we'll begin to like, oh, demons are, are uh, people who lived a bad life and they kind of get turned into that. No, not according to what we read in the Bible. These, these angels that rebelled against God, those are the demons. And according to what we learn in Scripture, they're still doing things today and tomorrow. I'm not trying at all to stir you up in order to trick you into some sort of a decision. I'm just telling you what's true. Whether you like it or not, believe it or not, whether it's, it's on your like believability scale, it's true, it's true, it's true. According to what we know is this. If you reject the idea that there is evil, more specifically, that there are actual demons, that they are trying to do things, that you are even more vulnerable to what they're trying to do. So I've already preached a whole series on this. I don't want to go much further with it. I actually wanted to go a different direction. Whether or not you believe in them, I want you to, I want you to understand, according to what we learned, what the demons are actually doing. Because that's where we get after the miracle. Here's one of the things that demons spend their time doing. Uh, they want you to suffer. Right now, when you get up and you walk through your day, again, I'm not trying to be so overly intense. I'm just trying to speak the truth. Right now, when you and I live our days and we make our decisions and we walk through life, that, that there are demons, there is evil trying to make you suffer. And, and, and there's scripture that helps us understand this. Uh, John 10.10, 10, uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. These are the words of Jesus speaking to, to uh, well, multiple people landing. He knew it would land with us where we would understand and process the fact that there is evil trying to destroy us. And you're like, like, like how? Well, I think it's more subtle than you and I typically talk about or lock onto. I think one of the prime ways that evil is trying to get you and I to be destroyed is mostly in our thinking. If you've ever processed the thoughts in your mind that you think you're horrible, you're ugly, you're stupid, 
that you aren't good enough, that others hate you, that you're just never going to measure up. I would tell you that I believe that is the enemy trying to whisper in your ear, trying to destroy you. If you've ever bought lies about things that actually never played out, I believe that's the enemy trying to destroy you. I don't think it's like, hey, look, it's a demon uh, trying and you see it physically. It's typically not that way. It's these lies that we buy which create this suffering mentality to where here's what I know about most of us. Most of us, if not all of us, currently right now, have a self-esteem that is in the pits. If you wonder who caused that, who went after that, who tried to create yours and my, my our low self-esteem, our feeling of inadequacy and brokenness, if you've ever wondered who started this evil, whispering, trying to trip you up, trying to make you so afraid that you would just be destroyed. This moment in a sermon, typically, it's when a pastor will offer a story. And I'll do that, but it's going to be very personal, and you just need to know it. I ask my wife permission because it involves her. And I don't know if you trust the Bible, but perhaps you would be willing for a moment to trust me when it comes to conversations about evil. Katie and I, uh, my wife, we, we met in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, she was going to college there. I was fresh out of college, and we quickly fell in love, and uh, we got married, went off to our honeymoon. Uh, I remember our honeymoon uh, for other reasons, but, but one in particular uh, was it was the first time I remember that she and I just felt independent. If you've, if you've ever, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, hey, no one's in charge of us now. This is absolutely awesome. It just felt that way. And, and I remember coming back from the honeymoon feeling like I was like in charge of the world. I don't know if you remember those moments. It just felt like uh, we're going to take on the world now. This is going to be awesome. And we got back into uh, real life. And uh, we, we just, you know, pressed in jobs and things like that. But I... I, I I believe it was about two or three weeks into our marriage where one night, while we were in bed, middle of the night, it's one of those bright nights where you feel like the moon is doing the sun's job. And it's just, I mean, it's bright. I typically sleep really, really well. I woke up in the middle of the night with this feeling of terror. So new, I didn't really experience that. And when you wake up, it's probably similar to me, you wake up pretty groggy and not sure, and it's no big deal, but I couldn't shake the terror. It was even in those moments, I don't know if you've ever, you probably have, where you have goosebumps and We talk about this, but literally the hair on your arms is just like sticking straight up. And I didn't know what was going on until my eyes met the end of our bed. And there at the edge of our bed was this dark something. I, 
I had no idea. What is it? There, there wasn't a lot of shit. It was just a dark figure of some sort. I'm thinking maybe I'm not seeing right. I'm just filled with terror. It feels like someone is in our bedroom at the foot of our bed. I, I'm so afraid. I wake Katie up. So I nudge her and I'm like, Katie, do you see that? She saw it too. And I'm at the point then, I don't know what to do. And then a thought went through my head. I had been told years previously that the name of Jesus has this power. I grew up singing songs about it in church. I was like, that's neat. I, I didn't fully know what it meant. But it was the only weapon I had access to that I could even think about in the moment. So out loud, in the middle of the night, I just start yelling, Jesus, just in the name of Jesus, get away. And like that, gone. Just gone. No, I didn't sleep the rest of the night. No, was overly intense. But what I'm embarrassed to tell you, eventually fall asleep and, and, and wake up the next day groggy and begin to shrug the whole thing off to a nightmare. Maybe I ate something weird, right? The next night, nothing happened. And the next night, nothing happened. And then my mind left the whole experience, right? No longer was I even thinking about it, dwelling on it. And then weeks later, I woke up in the middle of the night. Hair standing straight up, terrified. And again at the foot of the bed was this dark something. I woke Katie up again just to verify that I was seeing what I thought I was seeing. A bit more confident in this moment, but still scared. She saw it too. And so I, with boldness, started screaming at it, in the name of Jesus, you get out of this house. And just like that, it was gone. We wised up. You're like, so has this like been happening every day of your life from now on? No. Some of you are like, what if this happens? Maybe it has happened to you too. I don't know. I sought some wisdom. We talk about this regularly as a church that you shouldn't do life alone. So we sought some wisdom from other folks. And they're like, well, have you ever, have you ever dedicated your house to God? I'm like, no, but I probably should have been the one telling you to do that. But that's just good beyond this conversation. And no, we hadn't. And if you've never done this, what we did then was we got some oil. Oil is symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. And we did what the ancient Hebrews, the Jewish folks have been doing forever. And we went over every door frame in a whole house, anointed it with oil, and just said, God, this is your room. Went to the next room, did the exact same thing. Went to the next room, did the exact same thing. Went to the outside doors, did the exact same thing. And from that moment on, we never had that experience in the house. 
until we moved to another house. And we moved in and didn't have time to do what I just told you to do, right? When you move in, that's the last thing typically that you're thinking about. Except, it wasn't us that had that experience, it was our kids. And they, come, they came running into our room. So you better believe it, in the middle of the night, dad got the oil. And we went room by room by room. And it's never happened since. You may not believe in evil, but I've seen it. I've seen it. And if you want to know what God's perspective, because you might, well, if there's evil, David, why doesn't God just get rid of it? Well, technically, he's done something even better than that. John 10.10, there's a second part. Yeah, there's evil coming to get you. I have come, Jesus. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That seems to be the complete opposite of what evil's objective is. And in order for him to come and give us this life, Miracles have to happen. God has to intervene. So if you have ever felt any kind of suffering, any kind of lies, in fact, we read in Scripture, and even after that, that the demons got so intense, they would possess people and throw them into fire. And it's, there's extreme stuff we don't even have time to go into, trying to cause physical suffering, emotional suffering, spiritual suffering. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. But that's not their ultimate objective that you suffer. It's worse. Demons want you to reject God. That's what they really want. They want you to reject him. And that is, they'll make you suffer. And usually for the purpose of trying to get you to reject him. Many ways they try this. Let me give you some ways through the Bible. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow, here we go, deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. This is why I would tell you that it's not this, this red figure thing with the pitchfork going, hey, guess what? I got something to tell you. Because if that happens, you and I are to be like, I don't want to hear whatever you have to say. You know, there's teachings out there that will tell you, oh, there's many ways to God. Or just be a good person. That's all you need to strive for in life. Deceptive teachings. That if you just have enough faith, you'll be rich and never have a physical problem ever. Deceptive teaching. Let me show you more. Let me show you more. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. 
The devil knows this about you and I. If he can get you to, to buy into stuff and do some stupid stuff, that you will feel captive to that stupid stuff. Can we just call it stupid stuff? You don't need a list. But that you and I are tempted, we buy it, we take it, we eat the apple, but then we find ourselves captive to shame and pain and, and addiction. And we find ourselves going, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a prisoner to, to this. And that's what the devil's trying to get you and I to do, to suffer, but even more so to reject God and to become, literally, to become his captives. So let me dispel some lies. If you've ever thought, well, I know, and I just, the, the devil made me do it. Uh, we have more power and authority than that. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Is that not the, one of the main lies the devil tells us? Hey, what you're going through, what you're wrestling with, what you're tempted to do, no one else is. It's only you. Well, that contradicts that. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out. That sounds to me like God intervening. And because many of us have grown up expecting it, which is not bad to expect it, we've lost the fact that it's a miracle. That it's God intervening. We're not as wowed by it, but we should be. When you are tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. In other words, there is a miracle at your disposal if you will choose to use it. Here's the convicting part. Every time you and I buy into sin and we give in to temptation, we have in essence rejected a miracle. And I am as, a, as guilty as you are. But I want to read something to you. It's a, uh, it's a lengthy section of the Bible. But you need to see it. But I hope that you will see it in the context of miracles. In the con as whatever miracles you're currently praying for, I hope you'll see it in that context. I'm just gonna, let, me, let me just read it to you out of Romans. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. I would say that's an intervention. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That is a miracle that God would step into our lives and fix our sin problem. And since we have been made right in God's sight, miracle, by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us, miracle, from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, miracle, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved, miracle, through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. Because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That is an intervention of God into your life and mine, saying you have a problem, you have an issue, and I'm going to intervene. That is a miracle. And because we see it happen, or it's like, yeah, that's God's job is to save us. Let me push into your life. The greatest miracle 
is about eternity, not the temporary. And many of us think the temporary ones are the only ones we want. In this series, we're going to talk about, as I've already showed you, miracles of healing and protection and provision. And you and I ought to be praying for them, asking God for them. But perhaps you are somewhat like me, where at moments you begin to think that they are better, the temporary ones are better than the eternal ones. I think that's what makes Fountain Springs Church special. Because we try to dwell on the eternal miracles more than the temporary ones. I have a list right now of many, many, many temporary things that I want God to fix. But I'm going to tell you something right now. He's not going to let me live to 200 years old. But he is going to welcome me when I do pass away into his presence. And so I want to spend the rest of my life helping other people experience eternal miracles. Perhaps you missed something when Jesus taught us how to pray. Let me show you this. Lead us not into temptation. What if the Lord's prayer is request for miracle after miracle after miracle. And we thought it was just, God, do your job, do your job, do your job. We're going to spend time in the Lord's Prayer throughout this series. But I wanted you to see the most important one first. Deliver us. God, we need you to deliver us. I didn't want to end this without then walking us into uh, the practical. So if you are wondering, have I? Have I experienced the miracle of deliverance from the evil one? Here's the first step. Very simple. Declare Jesus as Lord. That's the first step. If If you no longer want evil to have power and authority in your life. You start by declaring Jesus as Lord. Let me show you. you. I stole this straight from the Bible. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A miracle will happen. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring, openly declaring. That's why we have baptism services. That you will openly declare your faith that you were saved. Some of you, this day is the day that you should, maybe because you never have, declare that Jesus is Lord. You aren't. No one else is. He is. And you begin to accept that deliverance, that miracle. You let God actually do a miracle in your soul and save you. Now, some of you have already done that. You don't have to do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. You don't have to be insecure in it. But you do need to claim the victory. 
Not many of us claim the victory. Have you? Have you claimed the victory? Do you live in that victory? I already gave you evidence that I don't do it every day. I'm going into a house and, and all of a sudden afraid. To, like, wait a minute. No, no, no. I have victory over that evil. I am a child of God. I don't, I don't fall slave to that evil. So many of us as Christians, we accept salvation, but then we, we live like we're still captives to it. 1 Corinthians gives us, gives us a little. For sin is the sting that results in death. The law gives sin its power, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've missed what I've been saying, listen very closely. All of us have become captive to the devil at some point in our life. And here's what Jesus did. He broke those chains. But do you realize if, that it's all, if that's all he ever did, if, if all he did was like, hey, you're being held captive by the devil, so I'm going to break the chains, run, right? I mean, we've, we've got enough good, good like prison jail movies. Like, yeah, you, you break out, you, you get away. But that would mean that you and I would spend the rest of our lives running from the evil one. Because we, all we did was get, we escaped, that's it. Jesus didn't just offer us escape from it. But it's where you can turn around and stare at the devil and say, you have no authority over me. Do you want that? Do you want to live life in such a way where evil doesn't have power over, over you, cannot consume you, that any temptation you face, you can escape from it, but have authority over it? We need to be a church that sees the value in the miracle of salvation, of deliverance. So, you got a card. This card is not actually... Uh, for you to take with you. Here's what I want you to do, whether you do it on this day or as the series unfolds. But we put together a prayer wall. And if you would be so bold, I've already done it. To write where you want God to intervene. And then place it on the prayer wall. What we'll do is we'll have a prayer team just go up to the wall and pray over that throughout the week, throughout the series. But we need to be a group of people who doesn't just believe in miracles, but that we pray for them. And if you're worried like, well, what I'm wanting isn't big enough for a, a miracle, yeah, it is. Wherever you want God to intervene on your behalf, on the behalf of someone else. Write it. And we're going to spend time as a church dwelling on miracles and asking God to intervene in our lives, in our friends' lives, in our family members' lives, and even the lives of the people that we don't love to be around. This world needs to see that God still does miracles. So I invite you to participate. All you do is write it down and put it on the prayer wall symbolically saying, God, I believe you still intervene.
And before we go, I want us to sing here in a little bit. I want to pray for you. So let me pray for you. God, we surrender this, this moment to you. Lord, I believe there are folks who have never declared that you are Lord. We're gathered listening to a sermon. But God, I pray for those right now in this moment who are ready or are willing to actually declare that you are Lord. Would you walk with them, Lord? I, I pray that you will take these moments and do a miracle of deliverance in their life. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're ready to declare that Jesus is Lord and you've never done this, you don't have to do this multiple times, but if you're ready, then just maybe these words will help you begin a a conversation with God. You just privately say this, God, I I want you to deliver me. Please deliver me from, from the evil one. God, would you forgive all my sins and take me into your family? Break the captivity that evil has in my life. God, fill me with your spirit. Give me power and authority over temptation and evil. God, I choose to follow you. I'm yours now. Heavenly Father, I pray for a whole church in the moments that darkness creeps into our lives, that evil steps in and tries to trick us or scare us. Would you remind us of the power of Jesus? Thank you for that victory. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.